Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. How's it going today, Adam? It's going fantastic. In fact, we just got back of a little bit of a, a whirlwind tour. I was headed up to New York City yesterday for the Welcome Conference, which is Will Gardera's of Unreasonable Hospitality. That's his hospitality conference. So Scott and I wanted to go up and check that out, which was fantastic. And, and we'll get into a little bit of a recap here, but it was really interesting. The conference is definitely focused on the food and beverage side of hospitality. So it was really interesting to feel like you were flying the wall inside of a different conference to understand what the dialogue is within that industry and to see how they run the conference. So we'll get into a little bit of a recap there. But before we, we dive in, I, I do want to give a little bit of a sports update, but it's a little twist. And I think that it, it dovetails into to what we'll talk about today. So we'll leave my, my 12-year-old behind. He's having a, a decent middle school season, but I want to focus on my nephew. So my nephew went to App State last year as, as a quarterback, was recruited out of a, a Northern Virginia high school, went to App State as a quarterback, ended up as the fourth string quarterback, and just wasn't didn't feel like he was getting the attention that he needed. It was huge accomplished to make it to a Division I school. And App State has a really fantastic reputation, at least in, in North Carolina, for a, a football school. So huge accomplish, accomplishment to get there but didn't feel like he was getting the right attention to get on the field anytime within his four years. So he got redshirted his first year and he ended up going into the portal this offseason. And he got picked up by this small college out of Virginia called Christopher Newport University. And it was a, a small school in the sense of population. So it's only got three, three to 5,000 kids. It's a division three school. So he's moving from a division one down to a division three, which from an ego perspective is, is not that easy to do. But his focus is on how can I play football, which from my perspective, as I lead a team and, and raise some boys that are interested in sports. That's my perspective. If you can play on the next level, you need to figure out how you can play on the next level. Not to, hey, I got on D1 and I, I sat the bench for four years. I don't think that's an accomplishment, but I don't think you get the most out of it when you do that. So he took a little bit of a, a break to the ego and went down to Christopher Newport. I got a chance to go up and see him. And, and Conrad, you'll appreciate this. This is a true Brady Bledsoe story. He's coming in as a freshman behind a senior quarterback who's been there for three years and has been the conference player of the year for the last three years. So he's now in his fourth year, three games in, he gets injured. And Connor comes in with, that's the, my nephew's name, Connor comes in with a, a quarter left against a nationally ranked team, Johns Hopkins out of, out of Baltimore, and throws through a 40-yard bomb within the first three plays and comes to within inches of coming back in the last quarter and winning. So this senior quarterback's now injured. Connor gets to start last weekend. I get to go up to CNU and, and watch him play. And he just tore it up. Uh, 287 yards passing, the most passing he's ever had. Uh, threw for two touchdowns, ran for another touchdown. I mean, just looked phenomenal. Looked like he belonged out there and was leading the team. So I say all of that, one, because I'm excited about it and I, I love the sports updates. But I think it dovetails to our discussion today for a few important reasons. I think that the industry has had this division one moment. We all rose up and accomplished sort of this division one moment where we surpassed every expectation that we possibly could have surpassed. But we're now coming back down and realizing, hey, we made division one, but we might not be able to play at that level. We might have to think about taking a hit to our ego to think about how do we change things to take it to whatever that next level is. Now, now Connor, as a freshman, can think about playing at Division Three and maybe going back into the portal eventually and go into a Division One and maybe have an impact. Or he could stay for four years and really have this beautiful career that he created that he didn't know was going to come because he had a chance to make that change. 
And I think that we as an industry, us as individual business people are faced with that right now. I think that we have these serious headwinds, these serious changes that are coming at us really quickly. And I think there's some of us who are saying, you know what, I'm just going to close my eyes and stay on D1 and hope that I make it onto that field someday. And then there's another portion. And unfortunately, from my perspective, I think this is a small portion. There's another portion of the industry that's looking at this and saying, how do I make the changes that I need to make? So my next story is even better than the story I'm telling today. And I don't see that happening. So we'll get into that a little bit through our discussions today. Today's We'll focus on a recap of welcome. We want to just chat about what we got out of that conference. And then we're going to look back on the summer and start to think about our wrap up for the summer and then what we're planning for as we get to the fall. So no guests, but I, I think this will be a pretty good conversation. Yeah, right on. I, I like that story quite a bit. Even the Brady Bledsoe comparison was right. I hope I hope the kid that got injured was okay and it wasn't a, a punctured lung like it was for Paul. No, he's all right. And in fact, okay. so this is, and I'm sure that Belichick had the same issue. Conrad, you've got, yeah. you've got this young guy who came in and, and really surpassed all the expectations, but you've mm-hmm. also got this guy who really proved himself and you probably owe him a debt of gratitude for what he's done. So it'll be really interesting. He, he I don't know, sprained his sternum or something. So it is hard for him to come back, but it's not like it's a season ending injury. So it'll be interesting in the next couple of weeks as as he comes back. Yeah, this is going way off topic, but since we're already there, we might as well finish the loop on it. You may not remember, just it's been so long, a lot of people don't remember. There was drama in that 01 season, uh, if you recall, around the Steelers game, because of course Brady goes out in that game, he gets injured, and Bledsoe comes in and plays well, and then they go to the Super Bowl playing the Rams that year, and there was a lot of Patriots fans who went, yeah, okay, this Brady kid did okay, but I, I think we should play Bledsoe. Brady wasn't playing that good before he gets injured in the Steelers game in the AFC Championship that year, and then even my, I remember my dad and stuff listening, and we were like reading the newspaper because this would have been, I think it was like 10 or 11 when that happened. And I didn't know what was right, but I was like, I don't know. I think you should play the player that got you there and not play Bloods. But there was a lot of debate that two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl way back when about who to play. Of course, Brady plays. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. All good stuff there. All right, Scott, we went way off topic there. Don't know how to bring it back to you and how you're doing. How was your trip up to New York City, a city that maybe Adam and I don't like from a sports perspective, but I'm sure it's great to be there. How are you doing? What's going on? Yeah, so, so my trip was far easier than Adam. So my trip is I ride up to the airport and hop on Amtrak and it's this two hour, just really, it's something that, and I don't say this often, it's something that I delight in. Getting in on that train, there, there's just something relaxing to it. And I'll tell you, I got on, I hadn't been on a train, I think since I was a kid, we went to New York City probably about three years ago for the first time on the train. And I was like a little kid, like it was the best thing ever. So I actually, I enjoy the train ride. I'm able to just sit down and get some thinking. Just my, I'm like, I'm watching out the outside pass and just watching as we're speeding through all these cities. I love it. And for me, it was, I don't mind New York. I am far from big city, but I enjoy walking through New York. So I was able to walk from Penn Station over to the event. And just the event was incredible. And, and I think, and, and certainly I've been critical of most of our conferences, and I've been very clear about how I feel people approach them. This conference, the Welcome Conference, was entirely different. It was probably the most packed room of people being vulnerable that we've ever been a part of, right? It was one after another on the stage, and different from us, is they suffered during COVID, right? And, and they... COVID taught them how fragile everything is, right? And COVID taught them that they had to work hard for their businesses and they had to work hard to keep their businesses. And they talked about how they failed and they talked about making tough decisions. But quite honestly, the the other side of it was a lot about self-care, a lot about self-care and about if you're not taking care of yourself, you'll never take care of the business. And it was 
enlightening. It was all inspiring. And I'll tell you, they they knew we were outsiders, right? We had the the badges on. And everyone, hey, welcome. Just a great group of people. Adam had a horrendous ride there. So I was left alone at a conference of a bunch of people I don't know. So everyone knows, knows now that's the worst place ever for me, right? I, I don't want to talk to people. There I am with all of them. We can't get into the conference, so I'm stuck. And and I've got person after person coming up and asking and saying, oh my God, it's wow, that's awesome. It's glad to have you here. Because I just give them the, hey, from the vacation rental side and and just true excitement to have us there. It was excellent. There were so many lessons learned. And and really, I think we're in this moment of really reframing everything, right? And, and looking down, and we're about to start talking through it, to say, how did we do and, and where are we going? And, and yesterday was certainly a good exclamation point and, and set Adam and I on this course for one of the last things we said to each other was, hey, on Friday, October 6th, we're going to sit down and we're going to make a long list of decisions on things we've been working on. And we're going to use that as our day to say, here's our direction in, into the future. So it was awesome. Adam and I always, we see each other nonstop every day virtually, but it's, there's always something good just to be face-to-face, side-by-side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot can be learned from that. I'm really interested about the topics from the conference perspective then, Adam. Unpack that a little bit for me. What was the main thing there? Was it mostly these talks on the stage? Was it more, here's how to be better? Was it more of these storytelling pieces that Scott was alluding to? What was your perspective of the content that was being shared there? Yeah, and I'm still trying to process this a little bit because I, I do try to compare it to our industry. And as we've been talking about, we all somewhat feel like there there's uh, changes that are needed with with our conference structure. I don't know what that means. I don't know how it's executed, but it was very interesting to be in a room full of hospitality people, but they were different than us because they were focused on food and beverage. And it was predominantly food and beverage. Scott and I might've been the only people outside of, of food and beverage that were there. And as much as we're talking about unreasonable hospitality and the book has gained traction within our vacation rental industry, the reality is that he's will in that book is still speaking primarily to food and beverage, primarily to restaurants. So it's a different concept, I think, for a few reasons. One, it's a one-day event. So it's a completely different scenario about how you want to execute a one-day event versus a multi-day event. There also aren't vendors. The vendors that were there were partners in the sense that they were part of whatever the event was, food, beverage. So there wasn't people there that were set up with booths trying to promote things. And I do think that might be a difference from industry to industry. And I'm and this is the part that I'm really still trying to process. I think that the vacation rental industry is exceptionally complicated. And I think that it's mom and pops who have grown up in this industry doing everything we need to do to execute at our local level. But there hasn't been a grand vision about how an industry should be built or about how individual vacation rental managers should be built. That's stretching 30 years or so. Outside of that, we were really just a fringe in industry anyway. But within our, our short 30-year period, we haven't really professionalized that much. I think that's part of the changes that we're going through right now is how do we professionalize? When you think about the food and beverage side, that's been in existence for ever, right? That's something we've all gone to restaurants for our entire existence. So they're not in a conference to say, this is how we should build this industry, or this is how you should execute at their restaurant. They're not trying to talk about the blocking blocking and tackling to use our, our football analogies further, right? They're talking about the hard stuff that Scott's talking about. They're getting vulnerable because 
they don't need to talk about the logistics of delivering silverware to the table or how do you pour the right martini. That's up to them as the restaurant to figure out. Whereas I think in the vacation rental space, we're still trying to teach each other, how do you build this business? How do you build this industry? I don't know if that changes anytime soon. I'm, I'm not sure. That's still the, the part that I'm trying to process. How, how do you change that from a conference perspective? Because I think there is a lot of value in sharing information and making sure that people understand models and how things have grown. Because if you don't look back in this industry, as complicated as it is, we're going to continue to make the same mistakes going forward. So I do think that there's a clear difference between what that conference was and what most of our conferences within the vacation rental space are. I don't know how to change that or bridge that. I'm not sure how to do that, but I, I do see a clear difference. Now to go to your point around content, 100% people up on the stage talking about stories, talking about successes or hardships that they've had. And Scott's point is spot on around COVID. We have two drastically different stories in our industries around COVID. We barely talk about COVID in the vacation rental space. And when we do, it's, oh my gosh, it was amazing. That COVID bump was crazy. Look at how great we did. In the restaurant industry, they are still reeling from COVID, like seriously reeling, trying to keep their doors open, trying to rebuild their businesses. So there was this exposure within that industry where they got, they all got very vulnerable very quickly because they were put against the ropes in every way possible. So I think that them coming back and still rebuilding, they're already open to that vulnerable aspect. But I also think that just their, the nature of their industry, they're a little bit more vulnerable because they've adopted hospitality around everything that they do. Just by the nature of being a restaurant, being in food and beverage, your job is to greet people when they get to the door and make sure you're nice when you get into the table and make sure you treat them really well and make sure you're thinking about all these extra pieces. I think that's why unreasonable hospitality was such an easy, not easy, such a, a clear fit for the restaurant industry because you have all these steps that you're already used to being hospitable. You just need to take it to that next level. So they're already, their heads, their minds, their hearts are already wrapped around hospitality. They're already speaking that language. I think as our industry, we're still building this hospitality focus. If you think about the front lines or if you talk to a lot of these management companies, I don't even think they... A lot of them, especially the, the 2019ers, as we've coined, I don't even think they know that they're in hospitality, right? They think they're a tech business or a real estate business. They don't understand what the backbone is of what we're doing. And I think that's part of the changes that, that Scott and I keep talking about is that's coming at us real fast. The people who don't recognize that they're in hospitality, those are the ones that are going to be hurting real quick. And I think our focus right now, as Scott and I mentioned, that sort of October 6th deadline that we're putting on ourselves, that's our focus to think about what are the next steps that we take to really double down on hospitality? And if nothing else, the Welcome Conference did just that. It doubled down on our belief in unreasonable hospitality, our belief in hospitality. So we're going full force into this. Now it's just a matter of who are the right partners? What are the right tools? What are the right steps that we're going to be putting in place? And it's everything that, that we've talked about on this podcast. So everything that we've done for the last, whatever, 40 plus episodes that's our model that we've been talking about, that we've been building out in the open. Now we're going to come to that October 6th deadline for ourselves. And we're going to say, these are the next steps that we're going to take with these partners. I like that. A lot to go through there. Scott, I'm curious your perspective on that from the operational point of view, right? So what Adam was saying there a moment ago was this idea that if you were, if you, these people who have come into the industry recently, they've started, gone, gone through this path of 
everything's easy. All the bookings are coming in from Airbnb. I don't have to do anything. But what the business they were actually in wasn't when all the stuff is brand new and everything works pretty seamlessly. It's a year later, two years later when all the, the cleaner's sick and doesn't show up. And these this problem happens and that problem happens. So what's your perspective from that side of operationally? How do those new people to the industry, what, what, what can they learn from unreasonable hospitality other than just caring more for the guests and, and talking about that piece of it? Yeah, it, it, one of the big things, and I can't remember which speaker it was, and one of the craziest things before I answer, Conrad, is they don't tell you who the speakers were. We had no idea. So every time someone came up, there was like this huge anticipation and excitement. Now, Adam and I candidly don't know all of the names, but as they came up, you could feel the energy in the room rise to, oh, it's this person. But I, I'll tell you, and in, in they... Every one of them hit on this, that service wasn't going to be enough. They all realized that service wasn't going to cut it. This idea of the, being in the service industry wasn't going to cut it anymore. They needed to be in the hospitality business. And I think operation, and we've said that a few times, right? And, and I saying things on, on LinkedIn about what we're doing in Ocean City offended a few people. And when they came back over the summer and said, I offended them, they basically said, we, we do great service. And, and again, it's one of those moments to say, we're not disputing that, right? The fact that you can have that unit ready when it needs to be ready, that's a great job, check. But that's not what's going to make the difference. And, and I think we're really doubled down on that. And my, on the train ride home, and I posted this on LinkedIn this morning, actually, Right. So Will talks about it as the precarious moments, right? And, and I think we've talked about it when that when the check arrives, right? And, and they see the bill at the one, number one restaurant in the world, right? What's that like? How do they manage that? We talked to Stowe Shoemaker, right? And he calls them moments of truth. But the funny part is, and, and we've rallied around that and, and we've laid out a few, but my question this morning was, and it's to myself and to everyone, when a guest walks in the unit, what's the first five things that they do, right? Because ultimately that's your answer. The first five things they do or they check on, you look and go, if we cover those with true hospitality, we just took a step forward towards the win. But I think Adam said, I think we're still so far away from that. I think we got to keep coming down to say, okay, how do we insert hospitality, especially in an environment that started running itself. And then we added remote check-in, which again, and I feel like we everyone's got to put this little asterisk disclaimer on this. I'm all in for remote check-in. I don't believe in the check-in office. I think remote check-in has a place and I think it belongs. But now have we really got down to, okay, so then what's the first five things they do so we can make those exactly what they are? And then I think the other thing holistically, Conrad, is Kat Cole got on stage and Kat Cole is, she's now the COO of AG1 Athletic Greens, but has this pretty storied career starting at Hooters and working her way up from a waitress to a trainer to rolling out their international product. And then she went to Cinnabon for a turnaround there. And so she gets up and, and she is like extremely compelling and just, you can just tell she's a tough lady. Like she knows her stuff. She articulates herself just incredibly. And then she introduces Angela Duckworth, who wrote Grit. And man, those two got on stage and had the most amazing conversation. And again, so then you get to hospitality and then they get into, you got to have passion. You got to have perseverance. 
And really, you could actually feel the crowd leaning into their conversation. It was, it was incredible. And I think, and to Adam's point and Conrad, even back to your question, I think that's the part that's missing. I think, I think some of, I think the, the older crew, if you will, the OGs, as we hear them called, I think they've got to wake up and realize it's time to lean in and, and, and put our hands back on the wheel or do the work that we hadn't done and I think the 2019ers have to make a decision now if they were really bought into the industry or it was just, hey, this is cool, it's easy. And and now the coolness is wearing off and, and I wasn't signing up for the hard part. Yeah. There's a a clip I posted on LinkedIn a while ago and it's a Naval, I don't know if you guys know Naval Ravikant, but it's a clip from one of his podcasts and he talks about going down the mountain basically. And so it's this idea that you go up to the top of the mountain, you get good at something or you uh, obtain a certain amount of skills or expertise or something like that. And the hardest thing to do actually is to, or the easiest thing to do is to stay there. The hardest thing to do is to walk back down the mountain. And what he's meaning is make negative progress for some period of time before you can then walk up a different mountain. And then you're starting from the beginning. And his sort of contention or his point is that very few people are willing to make negative progress for any length of time. They just always want to make positive progress. They can't fathom the idea in their head that they have to go back to the beginning, but that's really what you have to do sometimes to get better. So to your point, some people might need to look at their property or look at what they're doing from an operational perspective or from a guest perspective and go, ah, what I was doing actually was pretty suboptimal or really wasn't set up the right way. I need to walk back down the mountain, aka maybe stop things for a while, pause, go fix things. That's going to, I'm going to have to block my calendar. I'm going to have to lose revenue. I'm going to have to maybe fire owners. That's something that Brooke and I have talked about heavily on the Venturi side of things. Firing an over owner, that's like financially a bad move. You're losing revenue, you're losing income, et cetera. And yet long-term it's the right thing to do, but it feels like walking back down the mountain. So what's, I don't know, we didn't talk about this before the show, Adam, or it's not an outline, but what's your perspective on that idea as it relates to unreasonable hospitality? How do you undo some bad habits and how do you find those passionate people to Scott's point? Because I think what he said is very accurate, but those people may not be in your organization today. You might have to get rid of people and bring in new people and that's hard to do. So I don't know what your perspective is on that, but. Yeah, I'd, I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think that your example around Naval is the same example that I was given with my nephew at, at school. I think you've got you've to take that step back. You've got to look at the situation and say, I can continue down this path and I can find reasons to continue down this path. Or I could pause, and, and we've said it before, right? Slow down to speed up. I could slow down a little bit and think about, is this the right path? Or is there a more efficient path or a better path or a more successful path? And I, I think that's what we're faced with right now. And this goes to the point I was making at the beginning is that I don't think as an industry, we're being honest with ourselves about the point that we're in, because I think that we still, and again, I'm making broad generalizations. There's plenty of people out there that are, are sitting in the same camp that we are that are trying to improve and trying to make these changes. But I think that the predominant part of the industry is looking at data, rear-facing data, to justify why they're okay where they are and why they're okay to continue on the same path that they're on. So what that does is that it doesn't present the opportunity to be aware of potential black swans and to be prepared for whatever those changes might be. And I don't say any of this, and I've said this in, in past podcasts, I don't say any of this as doom and gloom. I'm excited about change. I look at everything that we're facing right now as huge opportunities, right? And Munger talks about this too, right? People get rich when markets go down. It's, it's not following the crowd and doing what the crowd's doing. It's doing the opposite of what the crowd is doing. And in our industry, I think that doing the opposite is the hard part. I think doing the opposite is that grit that Scott's talking about, is finding the people that have the passion, is doubling down on hospitality, because none of those things are easy. The easy part is automating things and hoping for the best 
and not worrying about what the reviews have to say and just focusing on whatever that next guest is. The hard part is doubling down on each one of those guests and making sure that they have those exceptional experiences from start to finish. And this is not an easy turnaround. It's not a fast turnaround. This is something that takes an exceptional amount of time. I think we sped up this mountain really fast and it's going to be a slower decline, but there's going to be some people who see the opportunities on that decline and figure out how to move faster than everybody else. And I think the pace is what's going to change over the next few years. The people who find the right paths and move down those paths fast, same thing as 2008 with marketing. People who figured out marketing in 2008 moved way faster than the rest of the industry. I think that same opportunity is happening right now. Find the right paths and move down those paths as fast as you can. Yeah, you mentioned. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. Sorry, Conrad. I, I don't want to disrupt the flow, but but I, I think there's a poignant thing in here that came from the industry. And there was a speaker, and he's a Harvard professor. And and Adam, I don't remember his name. Talib Ben Hall, I think it is. He's yeah. he studies. He's the top professor, one of the top professors at Harvard. He studies happiness. Would you yeah, be able? So, to, uh, you can put a link in there, Conrad. Yeah. So Conrad, in, in this, is he uses what you're saying and what we say all the time. He uses it differently. And he says, resilience is just everything we know. You squeeze a ball and it goes back to form. You bounce the ball and it, it'll bounce back. What they have coined from a happiness perspective and, and, and the translation over into the restaurant perspective, literally yesterday, what we were talking about was resilience 2.0 and that's anti-fragility. And what that means is, you squeeze the ball, and when you let it out, it actually gets bigger. So, so the ball expands. You bounce the ball, and it bounces higher than where it came from. And, and, and I think, Conrad, that's part of the down the trip down the mountain, right, it is ultimately building that resilience and getting ready to bounce back higher and better. And I thought it was, I thought it was poignant, because, Conrad, I think it's right on this message of this trip down the mountain, either force. We're talking about we need to take the walk down the mountain. They got pushed down the mountain. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he really focused on this anti-fragility. He's got a book, Conrad, and, and I actually picked it up yesterday when we were there. Probably good to link into that book as well. And it he hits that really early on in the book. But I think there's something to it, right? The To not only take the trip down the mountain, but to then look at the next peak which if you've done it right, is higher than the peak you just came off. Yeah. You, mean, you mentioned reviews there really quickly, Adam. That's the piece I was actually going to pull out and question because I can speak to this personally. We have a client who's not super happy with us right now. And some people on my team are like, oh, like they, they want to be dismissive of this person's request because they come off a little rude. I'll leave it at that level of detail and won't go any further. But I went, wait a second. He is a little rude. That's undeniably true. However, he's not wrong. And I had to say this on a team meeting and it was a bit awkward, which is to say, Maybe he could work on his delivery and be a little bit more polite, a little more professional. However, his commentary about the issues that he was having is legitimate and we shouldn't ignore it. And we shouldn't just say, oh, you know, most people are happy. Therefore, this person's an outlier and, and it's not someone that we, something that we should address. I think the same thing happens on the review side often was that when you look at a property, this is a thing that people brag about online too, Adam, I've seen, right? We have all five-star reviews and things like that. That's great. But some people have low standards. Like a five-star for one person is not the same as a five-star for everyone, but it's all pushed into this algorithm and we're given a score and it's nice to be able to say that you're a super manager or a super host, whatever the case may be. But when you get negative feedback, 
I think our most of us, our initial feedback is just, like, oh, that, that can't be true. Or, oh, maybe once in a while you might see the person who takes accountability. I made a mistake there. But it's rare that we listen to like negative feedback to actually do something about it. We say, ah, you know what? You're right. And let me change what I'm doing because of what you said and won't happen again in the future. And that's a skill that I think maps into all we're talking about here, right? You have to sometimes take those negative reviews and not just go, oh, that person was unreasonable. Forget them. They're unreasonable in terms of their expectations, but rather listen and be like, ah, what can I do better? Yeah. So I'll say a couple of things on that. So first of all, I think that, and this goes on both sides. So so it's a a sword that cuts both ways. So let me go to the negative first. So I think we rely on reviews too much. I think that as a culture, online culture, we've pushed these reviews to a point where they no longer make sense, right? You go on Amazon, the first thing you're going to do when you see 5,000 reviews is go to the negative ones to figure out, is that something that I can really tolerate? Or is that something that is true? Are these actual reviews? So I, I think that Reviews to some degree are broken, but at the same time, there's a lot of value that you can get out of that, right? If you see the Amazon review with 12,000 reviews, you're like, okay, that's the better one than 400. I see that's the right one. So there, I think there's value. <clears throat> but the point I make about the negative value, and this relates to OTAs, I think OTAs are an absolute problem with, with reviews. The fact that the algorithm is solely based on reviews and you are leaning heavier towards the guest than the manager who's doing all the work and putting in all the effort and has all of the risk, I think that's completely broken. And we can go down a path of talking about OTAs at at some point, but we've talked about it enough. I feel like their days are numbered for a number of reasons, but AI is is one of those. And I think reviews is part of the the problem and part of the reason why their days are numbered. I don't think that is going to When we go forward and we go down this decline, I don't think professional managers are going to be willing to take the lead of the OTAs any longer. And and we can, that's a a separate thread that we can go down, but that's my one side of reviews. The other side of reviews that you're talking about, Conrad, I think is hundred percent right. And I don't think, I don't want Scott and I to appear as cliche because we're just saying what sort of the right thing might be, but Scott and I truly try to be real about everything we're doing. And we're leaning into those hard conversations. And I I think it was Tim Ferriss where I heard this once was the person who's going to be most successful is the person that's willing to have the hardest conversations the most. And Scott and I think live that way. If there's a hard conversation, let's lean in on it. Let's have it now. Let's figure out what the right path is. And then let's go forward and put it behind us. No personal feelings about this. It's just how do we go forward and make the most of this? And I think that as an industry, we need to adopt that perspective when it comes to reviews, because there's a lot to learn from those reviews for you personally, for you as a business, for the homeowner. But I think the bigger opportunity, and this goes back to hospitality, every negative review, every negative phone call, every negative discussion is the opportunity for unreasonable hospitality. It's real easy to be nice to the person who's being nice to you. The message in this industry, the way that we win, the way that we set ourselves apart from everybody is making sure that we provide fantastic guest experiences that they can't forget for every one of your guests, positive or negative. And I would argue that the negative ones are more important because when you turn that one around, that review is going to be through the roof. Yeah. And it, and it sometimes is hard to do, like I said, because people aren't always equipped to do that. So maybe Scott will go back to your earlier comment about passion. And if someone's passionate about getting to the right outcome, or we interviewed Lakindra previously, I forget what episode that is. I'll try to suss that out the show notes. And it was like, it seems like she has that just from afar. I don't know her obviously as well as you do, but it's like rare to find the Kindras of the world aren't just growing on trees where you can just pop them out and put them in your organization. Right. But that's what you need, right. To be able to take that negative review and turn it into something positive and execute this unreasonable hospitality. Right. Yeah. And Adam says unreasonable hospitality is life, right? Hospitality is life. And and Conrad, to your point, and I I recently lived 
down the path you were on, right? Of except I was the provider of the feedback. Now, mm-hmm. listen, I thought that I did a better job delivering it, but we all know that that may not have been the case. But from me, right, and and we've talked about personal journey, business journey. What I've been trying to do, and and I think what Adam and I, and again to, to Adam's point. We don't just come on this podcast and talk and then go live some normal life. I would say that's that's something we've done different is this is if you were to walk in our office, this is the same us that you'll deal with. But Conrad, what I have stopped and done in, in everything, personal business, is say, where's the truth in this? And just have that moment with whatever it is and say, where is the truth in this? And like you, Conrad, you look at it and go, okay, I can remove that part. Okay, I can remove that part. Okay, that's emotion. But there is some truth in this, in anything that you can look and go, I can grow from that part right there. That may be ninth on the list of what they were trying to tell you. But if you honestly look at it, feedback is always going to have some realm of realness, right? It, it just is. So I think that's the perseverance. I think anyone that has to stand there and say, we've got it all figured out and no, we have all the answers. I I think it's trouble, right? I I think it's, I think it's, you're blind to the opportunity and and Adam and I truly do see it as opportunity. And and you mentioned you and I both thought the same way because that's where LaKindra grabs on the stuff, right? She sees these big issues and she sees them as opportunities. We, I've been silent on this one. And at some point I was going to post on that on LinkedIn, but I think it's a little too sensitive right now. And Adam will know what I'm talking about. So we, I am, I keep myself up front with the Tang client. So once, probably every six months, we'll send it an email from all of the Tang clients from me to them. And it comes from my email. So when they reply, it comes directly to me. When we do that, I'll actually block a full day so I can then spend all day interacting with the clients as they reply because I get a good amount of responses and I don't allow anyone to interact with clients and pretend they're me. They're replying, even if they send an email to our general box and it says, hey, Scott, this forwarded to me and then I interact with the client. So it was two weeks ago, I think, and we have this campaign where we're reaching out to our first time travelers and it's me, an email from me to say, hey, welcome back or welcome, right? So if they haven't traveled in more than three years, they get a welcome back. If they haven't traveled with us at all, they get a welcome. This email was intended for 23 people and it was welcome back. We're so excited to have you traveling again. Let me know if you need anything. I leave work. My email is clean. I get home. I'm at home. My wife was at a school event for the kids. So I've got both kids. I'm trying to prevent them from ransacking the house in the 45 minutes that their mother is gone. I make the mistake of looking down at my phone and I have 275 emails. Now, email was clean just an hour and a half ago. Marketing made a mistake and sent that email to the entire TAN client database. So now, and Conrad, you're a marketer, you know that you send someone to say, hey, looking forward to your next trip. People aren't just going to be like, oh, yeah, they made a mistake. This, this, oh, silly them. This wasn't for me. Like, on fire. Like, I, I've been hacked. And oh, my God, I'm concerned. But I'll tell you, I was I went straight to level 10. And Adam, just like he just said, was the one that said, all right, calm down a minute. This is all opportunity. Think about now how we can interact with these people. And let's make sure that you starts with you and then goes to everyone else. 
how do we turn this into opportunity? And I'll tell you, it took me, Lakendra, and the team out here about a week to sort through and, and to really bring it to, to resolution. But ultimately, we had a handful that were pissed and, and we had to bring around the corner. But then we had people saying, I sure would like to take my first trip. So we had all of this opportunity in there. And, and it was rough and it was easy to look at and go. We sent out a, an apology email within 30 minutes afterwards. So it would have been easy to just, hey, control all, move all of these. They now know that it was a mistake. We still went through and everyone that replied to me got a response. And it was a personal response to say, hey, this was an error. You should have gotten an email. But now let me connect you with someone to help you use it more. Let me do this. And, and that was a moment that I lost my perseverance at first, Adam restored it. And then we pushed it to the team that really took it and ran with it. Mm -hmm. hey, I wouldn't, I would never recommend it, but there was a little moment in time where you could do like little fake accidental stuff. I remember there was a very oh. short period of time where we were doing typos on Facebook posts intentionally. And then people would correct the typo and we'd be like, Oh, whoops, sorry about that. But it, it generated all these comments. And then we got all this engagement. And of course it showed it to more people. So I don't advocate for like cheap marketing hacks too often, but the whole fake accidental, uh, your trip is confirmed email that can work if you're like on the wrong side of ethical here. Um, not that we would ever promote unethical ideas on the show. Listen, I, from, from experience, Yes. That is never going to be in our playbook ever. <laughs> <laughs> we've taken that play and we've thrown it into the volcano. It's going to go yeah, to ashes. Yeah. Never going to play. We've done what we could with that play. We're done. <laughs> yeah, we're done with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think so. There's some other notes in here I want to get to. I know we're coming up against time. We've got a little bit more to dig into here. Love the conference. We also had in here to talk about Delmar update and TAN update. Maybe that was the TAN update. I don't know, Scott, if there's other pieces to layer in there. But yeah, also a Delmar update. What's the way that you think about this practically on the management side? You and I spoke offline a few days ago about this, but I'm curious what your perspective is about what type of homes that you're going after. How do we have unreasonable hospitality on the homeowner side? We spent most of our conversations so far talking about guest ideas, but what are homeowner pieces? Maybe Scott will go to you first and then we'll go to Adam. Yes. I think inflection point, this is the perfect inflection point, right? And, and Conrad, that was why you and I were having our conversation, right? Is we're, we're, we're on our way back down the mountain. And, and ultimately part of that, Conrad, is to look and say, which partners do we really value? Right. And what are we doing with those partners and why aren't we doing more? And and that was literally how you and I started our conversation of, hey, we, we've been doing this thing. What does more look like? And then conversely, Conrad, we're looking at others to say. We've been all in on this partnership, but it's not moving and it's not producing or it's not doing what we thought it was going to be or it's not meeting expectations. Ours are theirs and looking at partnerships to say. We were all in on this, but we've dropped the ball on this one and why. So overarching between Delmar and Tan, we're taking that step back to just say, okay, we've done a lot of things. We've gone in a lot of directions. Now, where do we really want to invest our time in, and who do we want to be with on the climb up to the next higher peak? So generally that's where both companies are, but I'll tell you the most refreshing thing we have going is on the Casago Delmar side is we told a story. We told ourselves a story, right? I've been, although I don't say their name, I've been vocal about, I do not like what the big brand has done to our industry. I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I think it's, I think it's unhealthy. And I shared a little bit of feedback I had from the podcast, the No BS podcast. What I can tell you is what we have proven, we started our first homeowner marketing effort. Adam, it was like the second or third week of August, right? It was recent. And here's what I can tell you. Everything we said 
is 100% true. And, and ultimately, Conrad, this was our checkpoint to say, we've said a lot, we've surmised a lot, we've opined, right? We've done all of these things. When we send this communication, do we get the answer that what we're saying resonates? And is it real? And, and it it's real. So Conrad and you and I talked a lot about this. We are working with a very specific group of owners. Maybe this portfolio goes to 75, maybe it goes to 100. We're not going to grow it big. We want to work with the right people that have the right properties that meet all of the standards for us and we meet all of their standards. And we're talking to a guy and Conrad, you and I talked about this house. This house is, he's got an amazing house. It's on the bay side and it's actually across the the bay from the ocean and right now he's inside of the bigger portfolio right he is one of the four thousand homes so they come to him and say here's all of the things your house doesn't have right that'll push your revenue down right oh you're not oceanfront oh you're not this you're not ocean block where we're coming at this and we're really looking at every property on its own merits to say forget what everyone else is looking for there is something very special about your place, very unique about your place. And if we do our part and go find the right guests, then your revenue is going to exceed what happens when people go, yeah, this one's really nice, but we can actually pay a little bit more for a lesser place and we'll be one block. We'll be on the beach block, right? And I think that's the commodity that I hate about what we've what the ha- has happened with the industry. And, and that is the anti-establishment approach we're taking is we want to grab these properties and say, forget what your property is going to do inside of our portfolio or inside of anyone else's portfolio. What is your property worth to the people that want to stay there? And then we're going to go find the people that want to stay there. And that's what I'm most excited about. I'm excited that what we've talked has come true, right? I, I think we everything we've said about the big brand is true. I think Everything we've said, even about some of the smaller competitors is true. And we're starting to see that shine through. Uh, Again, you can only run so far until things start to run out and people start to wonder, why am I competing against that smaller place? And why aren't you giving me more attention? So Delmar, I'm very excited for. Tan, we're in this mode of really, hey, what's next? Where are we headed next? And really, that's our fourth quarter. And I'll go on just a little bit more, Conrad, and see my way through through the end of the content here. But ultimately, as I look at all of it, we are going to take and we're going to make this trip down the mountain and we're going to do it all in Q4 and really be ready for the start of 2024. We're going up and, and this isn't, we're not climbing up to a peak that was slightly higher than the one we left. We're going all in and, and we're going to, we're going to go. We're going to make this next climb with the right people around us doing the right thing and all making the climb together. Adam, your perspective on both those threads and where it can go from here. Yeah, I I think that Scott's perspective on Del Mar is spot on. And I, I guess what I would say is we're vocal and out in the open with this podcast about what we're trying to do, what the plan is, what the tools are, what our path is, and we'll continue to do that. So when we get done with our 10-6 self-imposed deadline and we've got the path in front of us, we're, we'll continue to share that path and explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. Now, what I will say about Del Mar is we're not worried about what anyone else thinks. And I think that's internal for us. When we talk about making those hard decisions and leaning in, 
we're not worried about what the external is and what everyone else is measuring us against. Because I think when people look in at us and they say, oh, you only, you talk so much, you only got 10 properties or you've only gotten up to 25 properties, right? I think people have this property limit in their head about what success is. That's not what success is in this industry. Success in this industry is revenue based, right? So figure out how to uh, create the best business, the most efficient business with the most lines of revenue that you can figure out how to bring into your business and build the best business that you can. And I don't think that's happening today. I think people are taking the easy route, figuring out one revenue stream, going on OTAs, making it the easiest possible way where you can book these properties, not worried about hospitality, not worried about the guest and homeowner experience. I think that's what's changing. And that's what Scott and I are, are doubling down. And our trip down the mountain in this fourth quarter is really to make sure that we've got all those tools, all those processes in place so that when January 1st hits, we're racing back up to that higher peak. So for Del Mar, I think Scott's spot on. The story we told ourselves is accurate. The story we, we talked about in this podcast is accurate. We're seeing it through discussions. But if we don't end up with 50, 25, whatever that number is by the end of the year, that's not a loss for us. That's a win. We proved our path. And now the next part is execution and choosing the right properties to make sure that we focus solely on that revenue for the homeowner and for us. On the tan side, I think this is actually where a lot of the excitement is because this, I think, translates to the rest of the industry. It's a small niche that people don't know about. And we can't do it all in Del Mar yet because we're still building Del Mar. But what we talk about on TAN, I think, translates to the rest of the industry. So for Q4, the plans that we have in place, as Scott talks about reinvigorating the, the TAN product, we're going at it from a number of different angles, right? We're, we're adding a new tier that will have a full travel hub. So when you think about a discount, when you're in a travel club, a vacation rental travel club, and, and you want to get the most benefit from it, it really... Uh, goes across all of your forms of travel. So we're thinking about Travel Hub that allows all of these forms of travel that gives strong discounts, that gives more justification for better properties where we can pay higher rates. So that's one side of it. Then there's the side of bringing in experiences. We've talked about experiences a lot. Stowe talked about an experience economy. We think there's a huge opportunity for experiences. We also think there's a huge opportunity for additional rev revenue streams with experiences. So as we look at this next level up, it's not just about the vacation rental. It's not just about the home. And I've, I've said this a number of times, the home is the tool that gets them on vacation. We need to think about holistically, what do we do with these people when they're on vacation? How do we create a great experience? But in turn, how do we create different revenue streams that they, that can then come back to us? So I see loyalty as a huge opportunity. I see experiences as a huge opportunity. I think that what Scott and I are creating here, and this will take time to come out, but I think that we can create little vacation clubs with a loyalty backing for the industry. And it's gonna take time for us to build this and roll this out. But the reason that TAN is unique and the reason that TAN is successful is because we've got 80,000 guests that pay a fee to be a part of whatever that club is that we have, whatever those offerings are. I think that we can translate that across the industry to vacation rental managers. And there's a gap in this industry around loyalty and the OTAs are exposing that. They're coming out with loyalty programs. They're expecting these people to go back to them with direct traffic. We can fight against all of this, but we've got to get the plan in place. We've got to take the trip down the mountain to get the plan in place so that we can get back up to a higher peak. Well said. I know we're at time, gentlemen, and I'm sure we could keep going because we did not get to everything in the outline, but I think you both nailed it there at the end. It was good to be a fly on <laughs> the wall and good to well, hear you guys have thought about it. Go ahead. But, so hang on, Conrad, but okay. you always try to get off the hook. You tried to escape yeah. when we first started this of not giving yourself. Always and forever. So here's the <laughs> hook is you get the last word. What are you okay. excited about? 
for the yeah, last, that's a good qu- last half of this year, the last part of this year. Yeah, that's a good question. So obviously, as we record this, it's mid-September. I know sometimes the episodes are released later. I'm working on a book. I think we've talked about that a little bit offline. That's going to be live and ready for VRMA. So I'm excited about that, personally speaking. And we've been thinking a lot about, if I could put it into one sentence or a few sentences, at least, for what we've been thinking about a lot. It's first diagnosis, see what's going better on. It's try to figure out better what's going on inside of a company first before we make any major shifts or even begin working with a client or consider working with a client. Then strategy, then what's like our overarching goal that we're trying to achieve, then tactics. And I'm admitting that I've been bad at that in the past where it's just, yep, here we go. We can do a blog post. We can do an email. We can do this. We can do that. What I'm trying to work on myself personally and what we're doing inside of the company on my side, they built the agency is to say, well, it's first like a doctor, give you a physical, see what's going on with you. Let's figure out what your problems are to some degree. Let's figure out, oh, my arm hurts. Okay. What's our strategy to fix your arm? What's the exercises? What's the diet? What's the treatment, et cetera. And then, okay, now here's the actual thing at the end, instead of just jumping to, oh, okay, here's Tylenol and a sling. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe you need something else. So that's what I'm working towards diagnosis, strategy, and then tactics. So love it. Love it. Awesome. Thank you guys. structure makes a lot of sense to me, Conrad. I I think that's a perfect path for you. And it seems, whereas in the past, we were always looking for that next marketing silver bullet. It doesn't feel like that's happening anymore. It feels like we're at a place where you can really build that structure and just dial in to what the the foundational components of that should be. It's going to be a little unique for each company, but the reality is it should be foundationally pretty similar across all of the marketing. Yeah, I do believe that's true, though, that, that a lot of things end up repeating themselves. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, because even oh, a small change right. in tactics can provide a different outcome, depending on the, the client and what they're focused on and the market and the fact that you only want a certain number of properties. Some people don't believe that. Some people are like, I want to own it all, right? All right, we're going to behave accordingly, right? Depending on yeah. those goals and the the strategy that you're trying to achieve. So yeah, thank you, guys. Obviously, we'll come back. We got more episodes coming. So uh, always good to leave when you have more to say, because I think that means that we ended on, on a good note. So thank you guys for recording. If you made it this far, I'm sure you get value out of the show when you appreciate what we have to say. Obviously, a really detailed one here today. So if you could head on over to your podcast app of choice, this is not walking up a mountain. It's very easy. You just click five stars, you leave a review, and you're off to the races, and it helps us quite a bit. So we thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Art of Hospitality.